You know, desperation is an interesting word. And we're going to explore it a little bit this morning. But before we get there, we, we're actually into the, the third week of our series, Life on the Road, which is really just a series exploring the idea that we have a God that meets us where we are, that Jesus spent the majority of his earthly ministry walking and traveling. And he would encounter people on the road that had all kinds of issues and all kinds of struggles, and he would meet them in the middle of that. And likewise, you and I have got all kinds of issues. We bring all kinds of things to the table, and we have this misconception that somehow we have to clean ourselves up before we can show up in front of God. We say, God, if I just clean these areas of my life, then I'm presentable and acceptable. Well, the truth is we have a God that meets us in the middle of our our dirtiness and our problems and our issues, and he rescues us. And this morning, we're going to see two people in our text that are desperate. And I'm not talking about desperate like we'll do anything. I'm talking about desperate like end of their rope, exhausted all my options. I have nowhere to go. Maybe you've had those moments or maybe you're, you're like that this morning where you just don't have any other place to turn. And you're just kind of desperate. We're going to look at two people this morning that couldn't come from more different backgrounds or more different walks of life. Politically and socially and culturally, they are as different as it can be. And yet they have this uniting, desperate need for Jesus. And we're going to explore that this morning as we kind of look at this idea of of becoming desperate. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 5. If you don't have one, we have one on the tables. Um, We're going to be in it every week, so bring it with you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one back there with you. We would love for you to have it. Likewise, if you know someone that doesn't have one, um, take that with them, give it away. That's why they're there. Um, We can always get more, so take those. If not, use it if you need to, if you don't have one. If you've got one, you're welcome to, or if you don't have one, you want to follow along with me, um, you're welcome to. Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21, but before we get there, let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for who you are, and we thank you that your word is is living and that it's active and that you actually call it sharper than any double-edged sword. That God, that it penetrates the joints and marrow and soul and spirit and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, that your word is so alive and so real. And God, we pray this morning that you would meet us in the middle of our issues and our things and our stuff and you would rescue us take just a moment right where you are and just ask god that whatever you've got going on this morning whatever you walk through the doors with whether it's distraction whether it's some kind of issue or hurt or whether it's just this total selfishness that god would just meet you in the middle of that just just pray that in your heart this morning And pray for someone beside you, even if you don't know their name, even if they look totally unfamiliar. Just pray that God would move in their lives. Just ask God to do something in their heart. And pray for me. Pray that I'm up here to know selfishness or self-righteousness. Just an empty and open vessel that God can use. God, we love you and are so grateful for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Meet us in the middle today, um, God, and, and open your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to look at both of these people in this story, and that's why we're going to kind of go through a little bit extra text here today. But Mark chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> 
When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, yet you can ask, who touched me? But then Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Do not be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing, and he went And said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. But they all laughed at him. After he put put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And they went to where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And they told, and then told him to give her something to eat. And this is a, actually really, really incredible things that are happening. And not just because <clears throat> there's this miraculous kind of undertone to everything, but the scenario is really crazy. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds of people gathered. Said that Jesus showed up on the other side of the lake, and oftentimes Jesus would cross the lake by boat because it was much shorter and he could beat the crowd. Now the crowd had to walk all the way around the lake. So when Jesus would cut off the cross, he got there and there were still crowds of people gathered. And it said there was one guy by the name of Jairus who was a synagogue ruler. A synagogue ruler is really just a lay person that was in charge of all the administration of the synagogue. They were, they were pretty important, but they weren't like a, a priest or anything like that. <coughs> Excuse me. So the synagogue ruler named Jairus shows up and it says that he sees Jesus and he falls at his feet and he says... My daughter, my little girl is dying. Please come and just just put your hand on her so that she will be healed. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And they get up and they begin to walk to wherever this guy's house is. And it says that while they were walking, there was this crowd of people pressed around him. And we're not talking about 25. We're talking about 500, 1,000 people lining. We talked about Zacchaeus last week. It's the same thing. Tons of people everywhere Jesus went pressed all around him, and we find this, this woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And, and we don't really know a whole lot, but we know that, that she's been subject to bleeding, most likely a menstrual bleeding for 12 years. That she's suffered a great deal. And at the hands of many doctors, she spent any money that she had, she had nothing left. 
And she's thinking to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. So she presses through the crowd and she touches his clothes and it says that immediately she feels her body be free from this bleeding. And Jesus, feeling that something's happened, turns and he looks at the crowd and he says, who touched me? The disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? You're being touched by everybody. I mean, they're crowding around you. And he says, no, somebody touched me. And the woman, petrified, knowing exactly what had happened, came forward, fell on her knees in front of Jesus and told the whole truth petrified. And Jesus says to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Stand up. While he's talking to her, these guys come from Jairus's house and they say, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Ignoring them, Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, now don't be afraid. Just believe. They go back and he sees all this commotion and, and they, people were mourning outside the house. And, and in that culture, Mourning was, a, it actually was a very important event. And they would wail and wail and wail. And they had these ceremonies that would go with it. And so they have these mourners out there and there's tons of commotion. And Jesus says, what's the deal? And they said, you know, his daughter's dead. He goes, He's not, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. And then he tells them all to get lost. And he takes mom and dad and Peter and James and John. And he goes in the room and he tells this girl to get up and she does. Tells them to feed her. These are incredible things that are happening. But if we, if we put them side by side for just a minute, it becomes really remarkable. Because if you put Jarius and this woman side by side, you really can't have two people that are more different. Jarius is a, he's a man. He's got a name as far as we know. We, our text actually names him. He is in great standing with his religious tradition. I mean, he's the ruler of the synagogue in the area, which means he's kind of a big deal. He's got many leather-bound books, right? Anchorman reference. <clears throat> and, uh, and he's clean. Like, literally, ceremonially, he's clean and he's healthy. And then we have this woman who we don't know her name. All we know is that she's been, had this condition for 12 years. She's given away everything that she's had to these doctors to try and fix her. And instead of getting better, she's gotten worse. And she is ceremonially unclean. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. You stand these people side by side and it's as far as people can get. She is an outcast and he is accepted. She is unhealthy and he is healthy. She is unclean and he is clean. She is a no-named woman and he is a synagogue ruler and a man. Yet in, in spite of all of these differences, there's some incredible similarities. And I want to pay a special attention to these because I think this is where you and I will catch a glimpse of ourselves. Both this woman and Jairus were desperate. And they were desperate. And you know that Jairus had to be desperate because, I mean, here he is a synagogue ruler approaching Jesus. The political leaders and, and the religious leaders at the time hated Jesus. They couldn't stand what he stood for. They hated the fact that he claimed to be God. <clears throat> and then he turned the religious institution upside down. Jairus, you know, was desperate because his daughter literally is about to die. In fact, in a matter of an hour or so, they come and tell her that she died. But he approaches Jesus and says, I need you. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders would have never gone that route. You've got to be desperate. We're going to see this in Nicodemus a little bit as we explore that in the next few weeks as well. But there's a desperation there that says, I don't know where else to go. We know that the woman's desperate. I mean, 12 years. 
everything she's had, she's given the doctors to try and heal her. Instead of getting better, she's actually getting worse. She's got no place else to go. She said, literally, she's desperate. Both these guy and this girl are, are, are desperate. You know, I think we're all kind of desperate for something. I think we're all had moments in our lives of pure desperation. And I don't know if you've ever been there. You've ever had something going in your life that was so out of control that you had no idea what to do or where to turn. Maybe a loved one was sick. Maybe you were sick. Maybe it's just something in your life is out of control. But both Jerry's and this woman are desperate. We know that. The other similarity we see is that they both exhausted all their options. You know that Jerry's has exhausted all his options because he's probably tried every single thing ex- except go to Jesus. I mean, he's had prayer, he's shown up at this place, he's, he's done all the right sacrificing, and nothing's working, and his daughter is dying, and so he says, if I can just get to Jesus. And we see that desperation when he falls at Jesus' feet. And those words are really powerful. You can almost hear it in his voice, right? He shows up there, and he falls at the feet of Jesus, and it says he pleaded earnestly with him in verse 23. Pleaded earnestly. Have you ever pleaded earnestly with God? My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed. Can you hear that in his voice? And he pleads with Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever pleaded with God. But really fallen on your knees and said, God, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. And for Jerry, it was my daughter's dying. I've got no place else to go. I don't know where to run to, but please just come touch her. Jesus was the last resort. The unclean woman really is sort of the same thing. Twelve years of being unclean. You know that in Leviticus chapter 15, we learn this, that if, that if you were a woman and you were having a bleeding that was outside of your normally monthly bleeding, you were unclean for as long as that lasted. Twelve years. You know what it meant to be unclean? It meant that you couldn't touch anyone or anything. You couldn't touch someone else's stuff. You couldn't be in their presence. Because if you did, if they even touched your clothes, your bedding, your place, they would be unclean. And then there was a whole series of rituals that had to go to to cleanse that person. And so literally, if you were unclean, you had to walk around shouting, unclean, unclean, every time you went into a public place. For 12 years, this woman had walked in public. Every time she got around a group of people, she had to shout the words, unclean. It was essentially the same thing as as being a leper. It's having leprosy. She lived most likely alone. And it's fascinating because she actually had some resources at some point in time because she went to all these doctors. Spent everything. Everything's gone. She's getting worse. Can you imagine spending your life, every time you walked around people, declaring what your issues were, top of your lungs? Hey, stay away from me, I'm a mess. Every time you walk in the mall? I mean, this is, this is what this lady is dealing with. I mean, just the ridicule alone. People dodging you to make sure they didn't touch you. Because who knew what you had? I just knew you were unclean, and I don't want to be unclean, much less catch it if I can. So in her moment of desperation, she thinks this, if I can just touch his clothes. So she presses through the crowd. We'll talk about this in a second. And she she touches his clothes. Because in that moment of desperation, she knew had no other option than to just try and touch Jesus. 
So we've got both this man and this woman desperate. We also see that they're both at the end of their rope. They're, they've exhausted all their options. We also see, the third similarity we see is that they both have this notion that somehow Jesus is the answer. We don't really get an idea that they know much more except for the fact that all that I've heard and all that I've, I've been learning about what people are saying about this Jesus is somehow he can help me. And Jairus' faith is really, all you've got to do is touch her and she will be okay. And her faith was, was really, all I've got to do is touch his clothes and I'll be healed. They didn't really know how, but they knew that somehow was the answer. And I don't know if you've ever been there in your own life where you didn't really know how, but you knew that somehow God, God was the answer to your unhappiness, to your, your, the way that you see life or the displeasure that you find in whatever it is, that somehow God is the answer to that. And it may not always come out you know, but there's just that part of you that says, the one place I don't want to turn that I'm fearful to turn I know happens to be the answer. And that's kind of both where, where Jairus and this woman are. And so we know they're desperate. We know that they're at the end of their ropes. We know that they think that Jesus is the answer. But here's the kicker is that the, the fourth thing that they both do is that they, they both risk everything. I mean, think about Jairus for a moment. He risks it all. I mean, this is basically career suicide he's doing. If he goes and he pleads with Jesus, he can wipe out the idea that he's going to be any kind of, of real, a synagogue ruler from here on out because the Pharisees, they will ridicule him. But you know what? Jerry, Jerry throws his arms up there. He's like, I don't care because I need my daughter to be healed. And he's willing to risk his own life, his own kind of maybe political hopes or social hopes or career hopes because he was willing to risk it all to come in contact with Jesus who he believed could heal his life. And the woman's the same way. I mean, she risks it all. I mean, check this out. An unclean woman presses through the crowd, touching who knows how many people along the way, making all of them unclean. And what's more, Jesus is actually traveling with the ruler of the synagogue, which makes that even kind of double risky. And she presses all the way through and risks it all. She just touches clothes. And you know, this is where I think that you and I get hung a lot, is that we're petrified. And if, Well, I am. Maybe you're not. But I, I'm often petrified. To risk everything for Christ. To risk everything for the one that I know can heal my deepest wounds. To risk everything for the one that I know that can, can probably make this desperate part of my life redeemable. And I think we're petrified of risking for a couple of reasons. One, I think we're petrified of risking because what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if I risk it all and I pray and I say, God, heal, heal him. And he doesn't get better. What happens if you're Jairus and you plead with Jesus and your daughter dies? What happens if you're the unclean woman and you press the crowd and you touch Jesus' clothes and you don't get well? You're standing there exposed, vulnerable, and embarrassed, hanging on to the clothes of the teacher with everybody's eyes on you, ready to throw you out of the community. I think part of us are petrified of risking because we're, we're scared to death of what happens if we call upon this God and he doesn't answer. I think we're all petrified of risking also because it means that we actually admit to the world and to ourselves that we can't control it. And we've talked about control in here a time or two, but, but that we really say, I, I don't know where to go, God. I've tried to fix it a thousand ways and I end up back here every 
time. But see, out of this desperation comes a couple of really amazing things. The first thing that comes out of desperation is, is healing. I mean, think about this for a moment. I mean, not just the physical healing, but Jairus, I mean, he's, this is an incredible story because while Jesus is talking with this woman, I mean, he's stopped and he's healed her and he's talking to her. While he's talking to her, some guys from his house come and they say, Jairus, your daughter died. I mean, you talk about deflating. Don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. I love this picture of this text the most. Jesus ignores them, which is awesome. And he says, don't be afraid. Now, I could see Jesus saying a lot of things there. I could see Jesus saying, hey, here's the deal. Don't be sad, man. It's going to be okay. He could comfort him with words saying, hey, listen, I've got this thing worked out. Don't worry about it. But all he says is, don't be afraid. I mean, they're really strange words because what's Jerry's afraid of? I mean, what was he what was he scared of? He's incredibly sad at the end of his rope, but the fear wasn't the first emotion that I would think would be there. I mean, if it were me, I'd be angry, I'd be hurt, I'd be sad. But I don't know that I would be fearful per se. But Jesus incredibly speaks these words of hope and he says. And don't be afraid. I mean, out of this desperation comes hope and healing. But, but really, right here in this moment comes hope. And he speaks to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. And I don't know, but I, I venture to say that probably this morning, God may be whispering some of those words to some of you in here. That as you carry whatever it is you're carrying, God standing in your life saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe what? What was Jerry supposed to believe? Jesus always shows up with those questions. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Listen to the words of hope he actually speaks into our unclean woman. She is petrified because all of a sudden Jesus stops. And she didn't anticipate that when she was drawing up this plan. Stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples kind of ridicule him a little bit. And they said, everyone's touching you. And he goes, no, no, somebody touched me. And everyone's looking around. And, and can you imagine being this woman? I mean, just standing there, all these eyes looking at you. You know that you've been healed. And so it says literally that she was terrified. Right? I was terrified. And she realized at once what was happening. She's cleaned and healed. Right? And she says that the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. She falls at his feet, trembling with fear. And just lays it all out. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, here's all, I've been suffering that tells the whole thing. Suffering and struggling and doctors and lost everything. I just thought if I could touch you. Just because Jesus, I mean, at that point in time, he had all the power in the world over her life. And so he reaches down and he picks her up and he says, daughter. Do you know how long it had been since someone had called this woman daughter? At least, I guarantee you, 12 years. Daughter was, not a, was a term of affection and love. And he picks her up and he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. In other words, Jesus is saying, Listen, I love you. I call you my child. 
And I know that there are some of us in here today, too, that, are, that have maybe never felt loved by God or loved by people or loved by our own parents. But we have a God that speaks into our life and says, Daughter, even with all of your 12 years of issues, I love you. I love that picture because it's such a picture of hope that Jesus calls her daughter and he looks at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. Because think about what they're both dealing with. They're both petrified. She's scared to death. And you know what? Even though it doesn't seem like the emotion, I guarantee you he is. Because what does life look like without my 12-year-old daughter? What do I do? That this God I've been calling upon didn't answer and didn't heal her. How do I go on? And Jesus answers both their fear with really the same response. I love that. He gives us incredible hope. So out of this desperation comes hope, and it also comes healing. And, and he does heal her. I mean, Jesus is, stops her bleeding just by touching her clothes. She's healed. And then he stands up and he redeems her spiritually and emotionally. But then he does the same thing to Jairus. And I also love this picture because what happens with Jairus is, is Jesus says he ignores the guys and says, listen, don't be afraid. And they go to the house and he goes to all the wailers and all the, the mourners and he tells them to be quiet and he sends them out and he takes in Peter and James and John, right, and sort of inner circle of disciples. And then he takes in mom and dad, kicks everybody else out. And he literally raises this girl from the dead. Do you think that Jairus and his wife were ever the same? Ever the same? Once you see God move in your life, once you see him move in a real way, once you experience that love, we can't remain the same. And that's exactly where Jairus is. Jesus heals the daughter in his life and heals and meets his wife anywhere he is spiritually. And I started thinking about our own lives and what we're desperate for because I do believe we're all desperate for something. And sometimes we're, we're at different levels of desperation and sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's for something else, but, but we really all have moments of desperation. And I started asking myself, what would it look like if in my moments of desperation I cried out to the God that heals? Then instead of exhausting all of my other options, Jesus would become my first option. How my life might look differently. And what would that be like for you? That in those moments of desperation or struggle or the end of everything that I know, exhausting all my options, actually turning to Jesus before I even get there. Before I exhaust all my other options, all the worldly options, I just say, Jesus, where are you? We have a God that meets us in the middle of that desperation says, I'm the answer. And it doesn't always formulate out the way we want it to because I guarantee you, Jairus didn't want his daughter to die first. But how much greater was God in the middle of all of that? And then I started asking this. What if instead of finding Jesus or God just in the middle of my desperation, I actually just became desperate for Jesus? That if I'm going to have moments of desperation in my life, why not have my whole life just become desperate for the touch of Christ? What would that look like for you? That if you actually just became desperately in search of God, desperately in love with the God that heals, and at the heartbeat of your life began to say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you now. So when those moments arise, those, those moments of chaos, I can stand firmly in your love. And realize that you are the answer to all of my desperation. This morning as we continue in worship, I want to ask you this as, as we sing together. is What are you desperate for? Maybe you're sitting here today 
absolutely, totally desperate for an answer to something in your life. And maybe you've played the game or the, the church game or, or whatever and, and you're just empty. But what if you, you flip the table around and said, God, I want to be desperate for you at every moment of my life so when my desperation moments came, you were who I called on. As we close out in worship this morning, I want you to, to understand that we have a God that meets you in the middle of that. And out of desperation comes hope. And that we can sing with all of our, our lives to a God that is redeeming and rescuing and healing and giving us hope. That out of desperation comes hope and healing. What might it look like to stand at the top of our lungs, praise God's hope and His goodness and His healing in our own lives. And if this morning you need to be rescued from something, you need to be redeemed, you need to have God meet you where you are, we invite you to come down and pray with us. We'll have some people from our prayer teams that will be in these chairs right here and not those chairs because they aren't there. So these chairs over here. And, and we want to pray with you. But more so...